always an honor and a pleasure to stand before you and have the uh, privilege to deliver a word to you that the Father has embedded in me. And, um, and just always, before I get started, giving honor to this house, you know, the man of this house, the father of this house, um, Steve and Mama Kim, you know, we know they are doing their, uh, is it Michigan? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, the Michigan thing. <laughs> so thankful for that, that we are able to um, move beyond ourselves, Amen. move beyond our borders, you know, because that's so important that when you have something that's worth sharing, you should share it. You know what I mean? And the gospel is always worth the sharing. And if you have a gospel inside of you that you love, but you don't share it, what use is it? Who does it benefit? I know it benefits you and it makes you feel good, you know, and it may rub off on somebody else accidentally, but how much more powerful can that gospel be? How much more powerful can that thing you love be when you begin to share it? You know, and for me, that was, uh, if you know me, you know I love RC cars. I, that's just a passion of mine. And it has always been so. I could sit in my garage for hours and just, and just, and just tinker, you know? And it was something I love so much. You know how when you love something, and it's a true saying that you love something so much that you would do it for free. And I love what I did. I love what I do so much that uh, <clears throat> it was always hard for me to, to um, consider making it a business. And I, and I went that route. And I'm not saying that that route is over, but I got to tell you what. I enjoy sitting in my garage playing with my car, sharing one with others way more than I did making a business out of it. You know what I mean? And so that don't mean I should not have. It just means that um, it took more dedication. It was hard work, you know, and um, it's worth doing. But today I'm thankful because I have a gospel in me. I have a word in me that I love, okay? And I want to share what's in me. And trust me, today... Standing here in this pulpit, it's not the only time I share my gospel. What my RC cars have done for me is allowed me to be able to sit one-on-one -on -one with people that I would never normally come in contact with because my life and the, and the choices that I've made in my life don't necessarily put me in the path of some of the people that I have contact with. And so because of that, that becomes our common ground, and because that's become our common ground, I get to share that. And you know, and I love it because there's an honor that's given in that situation that normally may not have been received or may not have been given, and there's an opportunity to share. And so I love it when they come and they just want to sit and they just want to talk, you know, or when they call me and, and you know, it's, it's Mr. Archie or, or, or you know, it's, it's just all the things that honor, they, and I don't require that, but it's given because they understand there's a gospel inside of me that I love. And I'm not ashamed to share that gospel with them. And so when I have the opportunity to do that, and that's what my RC cars do for me. They give me opportunity to share a gospel, and it does not limit the age group. Yeah. 
You know, I always thought there would be a particular age group, but I learned that from the little bitty all the way to the senior citizen, they love what I do, and they're fascinated with what I do. When I'm in my garage and I got the door up and the lights on and, and people are driving by how they slow down and I can see them looking, and they can't necessarily see me because there's a light between me and them, and I can see them looking in and they're, they're trying to see what's going on. And I do that a few times until finally, they'll get the nerve to stop and actually talk with me, you know, and find out who I am and why I love to do what I'm doing. You know what I mean? And that's what the gospel should be. Your life should reflect the Father so much that at first when people drive by and they see you, and they may not have a clear look, but they wonder what's up with that dude. There's something about him. There's something about them. But all of a sudden, they get the courtesy. I got, I, I'm too curious. I got to know. I got to know. And when they walk into, and when I love it, because when they walk into Archie's world in my garage and they see the cars on the wall and they see the things that I'm working on, they're like, oh, man, what is this? And I get to share those things. I get to share that world with them. They get to know who I am in that sense. And so that's a beautiful thing. And um, in seeing that, I said that for this reason, because I want you to know Today's message, and y'all say this with me. Today's message, Today's message is, not is not political. Okay, I am not a political dude. <laughs> but I want you to know today's message is not political. Today's message is about generations. Say that with me. Today's message, today's message is, about is about generations. generations. All right, thank you. And with saying that, I'm going to display my title for you of today's message, and it is Why Canaan? And if you know anything about Canaan, um, you know there's a lot going on in that area right now. And so for me, it caught me a little bit, it caught me by surprise, to be honest, because like I said, I'm not a political guy. So me and my wife were sitting down and we was watching some things on the news and watching what was going on over in Gaza and different places. And, um, you know, and then we just paid attention and really got to try to keep up with what's happening over there. And so, you know, that was in me, but still, if I have an opinion, it's not my opinion to share with you, but you know, I'm just not that guy right now. I don't, I don't do that. And, um, and so when, as I was preparing the message, you know, Josh Parker, he, he, he texted me, he said, hey, hey, prophet, hey, he called me prophet. I know that's, a, he, that's just a kid name he liked for me. But he called me and he said, hey, send me your title. And I said, okay, give me a few minutes. And I began to sit down and I th thought about it. And the first title I sent to him was Generations Equals Earth. That was the first title. That was when I put it on, I said, yeah, man, generations equals earth. But then it kept stirring to me. I kept thinking about it. I kept thinking about it. And I kept thinking about it. And then finally, the father said, no, that's not what I want you to, that's not what I want you to send them. Send them, write them, send them back, and tell them, why Canaan? And I said, okay, why Canaan? And I sent him that. And of course, Josh does what he does, and he, and he um, switched it up for me. And why Canaan? Now, to be honest, I still did not have the fullness of why Canaan. 
Okay? I didn't. And so, like I said, so then that preceded me watching the videos and the YouTube stuff and the news and with my wife. And so I got up this morning. I kid you not. I got up this morning, and when I woke up this morning, the father said, look up the location of Canaan. And I did. I said, okay, maybe I need to know a little bit about it or whatever. And um, I looked up the location of Canaan, and, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I said, I cannot believe this is where Canaan is located. And I, and I sent a text to my brother Matt to see if he could put that up for me. Why Canaan? If you understand what you're looking at, and I'll just tell you a little bit about what you're looking at. That is basically the land of Gaza. This is where all the, uh, the war and stuff is happening now when you talk about the uh, Hassim, you talk about the Palestinians, you're talking about the Israelites, and you're talking about, you know, everything that is happening is happening in that area. And understand who the children of Israel are and who they, what they were called to be. And so this is my answer. Why Canaan? Right here. But this is not a political message. I'm not here to teach you and preach to you about all the ins and outs. So why but? Why Canaan? This is Y'all keep that in mind as we go. This is not about politics. This is about generations. And so let's go to my first scripture. I'm just going to quickly review some things with you because I want you to understand how the generations and how the land of Canaan all ties in together. Okay? Because if you understand who God is, you know he's not about the politics. I love what Tom said this morning in our meeting. He said, Politics is of man. Spirit is of the Father. And when you know who God is, you understand he, there's nothing political about him. He's only about the truth. And if your politics don't line up with his truth, then you're in the wrong place. And, 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 and it's really hard to determine, it's even really hard to um, see how any man's politics lines up with the truth totally. If you listen, whether it be liberal, whether it be the conservatives, if you listen to what they have to say, everybody has something good to say. Everybody has something that might be appealing to you. But when you listen to the whole truth and nothing but the truth, it ain't all there. There's always some, oh man, they had to say that. Oh, man, it had to be for this. Oh, man, why he had to go there? And so now you are put in a position where you have to basically pick your poison when it comes to politics. But this message ain't about politics. It's about spirit and it's about truth. Because the law that the Father gave us was spirit. And I know many times we like to write the law off because we say the letter killeth, but the spirit brings life. And that is right. That's what the word says. But the law is God. The law is spirit. But it was spirit without Holy Spirit. It was spirit without you being able to perceive it and, and, and conceive it with your mind and ability to be able to live it. Why? Because you was without the fulfillment of the law. 
when the father came to the earth, when Christ came to the earth, he came not to do away with the law, but he did what? He fulfilled the law. He made the word of God through law possible for you to live. Before that, you couldn't live it. You couldn't sacrifice enough. There was not a blood pure enough. There was nothing holy enough that caused you to be righteous and to remain righteous before the Father. It wasn't until the great propitiation, the Holy Spirit, the high priest, Jesus Christ himself, came and shed his blood, demonstrated the law through his life, that you had the ability to even con consider living the word, living the spirit, living the law that the Father gave us. The law is right. You shall not kill. You should not steal. You should not lie. You should honor your mother and your father. You should not covet your neighbor. All in itself. But because I didn't have Holy Spirit in me, how in the world could I live that life? How could I be that kind of man that the Father desired for me to be? But by spirit. Let me read, y'all. Let's go. Let's go. First place, first scripture I'd like to go to would be, um, and this is going to be a quick review. So if you know me, you know I'm a Genesis man. You probably could already open your Bible up to it and know I was going to come from Genesis somewhere. But Genesis, uh, chapter 1, 27, if we could go there. Verses 21 and 28. And I like this because what I, what I want to do is establish the importance of generations. Okay? When we know who we are and where we come from, it gives us a sense of my purpose and what I'm all about. And so there's no greater foundation than this foundation that we're about to read about. Genesis 1, 27 to 20 earth. Oh, I'm sorry, yo. I was trying to grab my glasses. Verse 27. My wife hair. <laughs> Love you, baby. <laughs> From the English Standard Version. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So in the image that we are created in, is there's no greater image. There's nothing beyond the image of the Father. So that says a lot about who you and I are. If I was created in the image, that's no greater image than the image of the Father, then man, what does that say about me? If that's the image I was created in, in other words, I love the word creation because even in my, um, in my history class, we've been talking about creation and, and, and something being made. And so if you was to ask one of my students, and I know they would answer that, this question so elegantly for you, they would tell you that creation is taking nothing and making something. So the thing that I was created in was an image. So in other words, it wasn't tainted. There was no flaws in it. There was nothing that needed to be removed. But I was made, I was created in an in image that was just flawless. See, so 
all that stuff that's go through your head that tells you you ain't nothing, you ain't about nothing, you ain't never going to be nothing, guess what? That's a lie. Because what you were created in was flawless, and that is nothing it can accomplish. But you have to know that. You heard the lie, but what's the truth? The truth is, you were created in the flawless image. You were created in an image that's greater than anything of this earth. That's what I was created in. That's who I am. Now, we understand the creation. So if we go to Genesis 2 and 7, it reads, Then God, then the Lord God formed man of the dust, of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. Why is that so important? Again, ask one of my students, they'll tell you, because he was made. So when he was made, there was creation, taking nothing to make something. And now this time man was made, so he was formed from the dust of the earth. So God took the dust of the earth, he took something to make something. Okay? And so that's the difference. Creation, taking nothing to make something, made, take something to make something. And so he made us from the earth. Why is that important? Because it connected us not only to the Father and his image, but it also connected us to the earth. Because without that connection, the earth was not even valuable to me. The earth wasn't even valuable to the Father until he made me. He made the earth. He created the earth. And it was good and it was very good. But what am I going to do with that? So I'm going to put something in my image. I'm going to create a man in my image and I'm going to connect him to this earth. So not only does the man who's in my image, but the earth that I made also, they both have such a value to me. This is your earth. This is my earth. This earth belongs to the generations before me. It belongs to the generation present. And it belongs to the generations to come. This is about generations. Okay. Another verse. Matthew 16. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. I should have added another verse. In earth, as it is in heaven. In earth, as it is in heaven. And that's in this. And so we have to understand that that earth it's not talking about nature. It's not talking about the birds and the bees. It's not talking about the seas. It's not talking about the fish and all those things. Why? Because they understood and they still understand the purpose and the dominion that was given to man from the beginning. Remember when God created us in his image, he gave us dominion over the fish of the of the seas, the birds, the fowl over the air, and over every living thing of this earth. They understand. So the earth, and na as nature, they're not disobedient to what the Father has placed, has already established. The earth, men, we're the ones who lost relationship. Our relationship was broken. And so now it's up to us to redeem who we are. So when we read, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth, you are the earth. 
You were made from the dust. That's why you were connected to the earth. That's why it's so important for you to understand thy will be done in earth. In who? You. Monkeys can't change a situation. They just do what they do. Monkeys going to be monkeys. Animals going to be animals. Animals going to follow what Simba said, that circle of life. They're going to be obedient to it. And you know, I used to feel sorry for animals and stuff. I was like, dang. I used to always, as a kid, I used to always sit back and wonder, what animal would I be? And I was always wanting to be an animal at the top of the food chain. Because I never want, I, I used to feel so bad for gazelles and baby deer. And I think everybody wants to eat a deer. I do not want to be a deer. I'd be anything but a deer. You know? And then I used to think, then as I got older, I said, yeah. When I was a kid, I thought, man, I'm going to be a lion. If I be a lion, if I'm going to be anything, I'm going to be a lion. I'm going to be at the top of the food chain. Nothing going to mess with a lion. But then I realized a lion's problem is another lion. <laughs> and, and I thought, man, how does that happen? So it doesn't matter where you are in that cycle of life. Everything is subjected to another thing. And then I used to think, well, I'll be a gorilla. There ain't no messing with a gorilla. He bad boy. But again, gorillas are subjected to other gorillas. Because you're only going to be king for a little while. You know what I mean? <laughs> As time go on, there's going to be another king coming up. And there has to be a change of power. There has to be a change of generation. Why is that necessary? Because even the nature understands generation after generation after generation. The mother lioness chooses the strongest of the lions. Mother gorilla chooses the strongest of the gorilla. So you, just because you was king this year, don't mean you're going to be king next year. And even in the changing of the hands, it's not something that just, okay, yeah, I'm, I done got old, son. It's your turn. It don't happen like that. It does not happen that way. There's a violence that takes place. There's a fight. You want to be king of this throne? Then you got to whoop me, brother. I don't care how old you think I am, but you better bring it. And sometimes even I learned that lions cheat because sometimes they'll go pair up with another stray lion. And they'll bring two and three lions to take over a kingdom. So you got one, you could be one bad lion, but I'm telling you, you ain't bad enough to beat three or two. And those young, strong lions would come and they would defeat the one lion that's there, and take over the pride. And what do, and he don't just accept what's there, but as he come in and he begin to kill a generation, he will kill a generation to the previous lion because that's not my seed. That's not my son. He don't have my strengths. And I know when you see it and you watch it on, on nature programs like I do, you can first think, oh, how cruel. Why they got to kill the baby lions? You know, why they got to do that? Simply because, so first of all, those lions grew up to be lions. 
They ain't going to always be little lions. And they, gonna, uh, they, and they never remember and they never forget the life their father. So another for me to get rid of the threat of them growing up being lions and their father and their father's seed being the one sown, I got to destroy them. And so the new lion comes in and he does just that. If that mother lion don't take them baby lions and run off and hide them, the new lions will kill every single one, especially the male lions. Now, he ain't worried about the lioness, but he want to, he'll kill the male lions. So it's even in that nature, you can see how important the generation is. Generation after generation. Seed after its own seed. After its own kind. Okay? Now, let me go to my next scripture. And this one I'm going to read a little bit more for you. And so understanding who we are, the importance of generations, knowing that it's seed after every seed. Okay? And so here is where the question comes in. Why Canaan? Okay? And again, this is not a political message I was really oblivious to um, the location of Canaan. I'll be honest when I say that because I didn't think that way. I'm not, like I said, I'm not a political person, so I didn't get into it. I'm not trying to teach you anything that you um, should not know, but I want to encourage you. I want to instill something into you that is, um, that is vital because Canaan and Gaza and everything that is happening right now, y'all, it ain't political. It's spiritual. And it has everything to do with generations. Had we been a generation of men that was made in the image of God that was as obedient as the nature is to the law of Father, this would not be happening. It would not be happening. And I, before I say too much, let me read. Let me read. So let's go to, um, oh my goodness. I didn't write it down. You think I would know about her. But this is, uh, I don't have my phone. Ex is it Exodus? Exodus 23. Thank you, Ray. Exodus 23, verse 20. And in the title, if you read it, it starts off um, the conquest of Canaan. Verse 20, behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. Important. But if you carefully obey, obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and bring you to the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jezebites, and block them out, you shall not buy down to their gods nor serve them. That's important. Nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them 
and break their pillars in pieces. If you read that fast, you'll miss something. Because when I first read it, I had to read it again because I realized there was something, there was a great shift that happened there. One, here's the place that the Father prepared for me, Canaan. And that's where my question comes from, why Canaan? Why didn't you just set us up in Egypt? You already killed the man chilling. You know, you destroyed everything else. <laughs> Why not Egypt? And if you look at it, if you look at that map a little closer, you'll realize that Egypt was a much bigger land than the land of Canaan. So you could have set us up pretty good, God. You, we got all the gold. We got everything we need. All you had to do was kill Pharaoh and set Moses up. Yeah. We were set. Everything we needed was right there already. Why not Egypt? But no, I'm going to take you to a smaller place. And mind you, Israel was not a, 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 a small group of people. There was numerous. As a matter of fact, it says now that even Gaza is probably the most populated place in the world. Which speaks to God's children and his seed and the generations. Generation after generation, even when Pharaoh tried to destroy, uh, um, destroy the children of Israel, when, when, when Moses, if we even, I love my, um, I love my uh, class lessons because we're even talking about Moses and the deliverance of Moses. And it just goes on along with everything. Because even when he was trying to destroy the deliverer, when, even when he was trying to Destroy, not just to deliver, because I don't think he understood it that way, but he did understand generations. He understood generations. He said, you know what? Man, I don't care what we do to these people. They just keep growing. They just keep multiplying. They don't die, they multiply. And so I'm going to stop this multiplication from happening. How am I going to do it? I'm going to tell the maid servants, for every male child that's born, you need to destroy him. You need to kill him. Every male servant that is, every male child that is born of the Hebrews, you kill him. Just so happened, the women that were maid servants, and I, if, if I try to say her name, I'm going to mess it up. But the two that was, uh, they love God, they fear God. And they decided, no, that's not what we're going to do. I love God and his will and what's in me and his purpose much more than I love my own life. So because you got to realize their obedience to the father meant there was a disobedience to the Pharaoh. And being, being disobedient to the Pharaoh meant there was a destruction. That could have been the end of life there. It could have cost me my life to be obedient to the Father as it is to the Pharaoh. Now, how many times have we compromised the word of the Father because we didn't want to lose what the Pharaoh, or we didn't want to face the punishment of the Pharaoh? And sometimes it ain't even about life, but it's about reputation. I got a reputation to uphold. I, I care about what my friends think about me. And I don't want to seem like this holy roller. And I don't want to be isolated because I'm a goody two-shoe. 
but I want to hang out with my friends. I want my friends to like me. I want them to know that I'm somebody they can, they can trust and confide in. Your reputation with your friends sometimes is more important than your reputation in the Father. Can I depend on you? Are you the one that I found? Or you the, do I have to look anymore? Or uh, uh, have you found one? Because finding one and being the one that the Father has chosen causes you to be outstanding. We're always doing different things to cause ourselves to be peculiar or to stand out from the crowd. But there's no greater thing that you can do than to be obedient to the Father. Understand who you are. Understand the importance of your generation. Know that obedience to the Father may cost you something. All right. I think it's verse uh, 24. You shall not know, oh, excuse me. You shall not bow down to their guards nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God. And he will bless your bread, your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. Generations, y'all, that's generations. I will fulfill the numbers of your days. I will send my terror before you, and I will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Havites, the Canaanites, the Hittites from before you. Let me lift my head up so I'm not blowing in the mic. Okay. The Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. And you know, that's, that's, that's an awesome God, that he would consider the time frame and which he moved the people. Now, I'm going to let them stay there long enough so they can consider, continue to cultivate the land for you. So that none of, none of them big old grapes that they have, you know, over there becomes overgrown. And you have to go in and weed out all that land. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to let them do that for you. But little by little, I'm going to cause the hornets to be buzzing on them, biting them, stinging them, and everything. Until they finally realize, I got to leave. But as they leave, you come in. And it's beautiful because... He did that in Egypt. Why we didn't do that in Egypt? Because when all the pestilence and all the flies and all the things came, it just bugged Pharaoh them to no end. But the children of Israel, they were chilling. We were cool. Not even our cows had to deal with the flies. This was in Egypt. You know, and so, and, and it makes you a little more um, sympathetic to the people that say, man, you could have left us in Egypt. You brought us out here to die. Yeah. And so, you know, when you read the Bible, you all holy and everything. <laughs> Father, you need to strike them down. <laughs> they don't know who you are. They don't know my God. <laughs> but at the same time, you ain't the one walking through the desert either. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so... You have to be real, people. 
Because sometimes you, be, you are placed in situations or you're put in a journey that's going to cause you to say, man, you could have left me in Egypt. At least there I had something to eat. At least there I had some place to stay. You know, I knew what my provisions were for the next day. But out here, I don't even know what's next. I don't even know what else to expect. But you're taking me to a place that you call the promised land? What does that look like? And then when I get to the promised land, I, I, we had already beat the Egyptians. You've already done that for us. But now when I walk into this land, good Lord, these people three times my size. They're stronger than me. They're bigger than us. We look like grasshoppers compared to them. Man, you could have left us in Egypt. You could have did all that in Egypt. We would have been fine. But you brought us to a land, which you call the promised land. And so here's what I love, though. Here's, here's where that shift happens. Yes, there was an angel that went before them. Yes, there was a hornet that went before them. But then there was a responsibility of the land, of the earth, in the earth. You go in and you drive them out. You go in and break down their pillars and their altars. You go in and break their God break and, and destroy their gods. You go in and teach them to serve your God. You go in and be a demonstration of who your God is. Today, this is what it's all about. You know, and, and um, Gaza, that place, that Canaan, that place of Canaan. Why Canaan? Well, because God wanted to be a demonstration to a people. Not only did he want to just destroy people, but he wanted to establish generations in that place of people who serve God Loved God and served and loved him only. Now imagine today had that been the case. See, sometimes we get soft-hearted and we start playing God and we say, well, you know, maybe he don't want me to kill that one. Maybe he don't want me to destroy that one. Oh, that's pretty. That's gold. That's lovely. I just take that one for myself. And so you start to compromise the very thing that the Father has instructed you to do. And that is no different then than it is today. Now, you are responsible for your generations. When you begin to compromise with today's trend, when you begin to compromise with your children because everybody else's children is doing it, Oh, I'm going to let you do this because, yeah, I know that's what y'all do nowadays. Yeah, come on. I, I, I'm not, well, I'm going to let up a little bit because, you know, I don't want you to be all, um, I don't want the children to ridicule you. Because I know what it's like when I was a kid. I didn't have such and such. My mama didn't let us do certain things and we couldn't go certain places. We had to be in by a certain time. And I hated walking away when the party had just got started, girl, and I got to go home. <laughs> and we hated that feeling. And so what we've done, 
we've allowed our emotions and our feelings of being ridiculed and our feelings of being left out to taint the next generation. When it ain't about how you feel. When you understand the purpose of God and the importance of the next generation, I don't care. I don't even care. I don't care what they think about it. I don't care that you don't wear Nikes. I don't care that you ain't got on Gucci or whatever else that the other kids are wearing. It don't matter. The fact that you are clothed and you are provided for and the fact that I'm going to teach you what thus says the Lord is what's important. I'm going to establish his kingdom in you as it is in me. Thy kingdom come as it is in this earth shall be established in you the next earth because you are earth. His kingdom, there's a responsibility that this, king, that this earth has to establish the kingdom in you. And when I began to compromise because of the signs of the time, because of what everybody else is doing, and because that girl ain't got on no clothes, you can have to, you don't have to wear no clothes. Not so. And I ain't just gonna talk about the girls, I'm gonna talk about the guys too. Because I know what it was like. I was a, I was a second oldest child. I had a sister older than me, but I had a lot of younger, I had uh, two younger sisters under me, you know? And sometimes, as being an older son, I did have some privileges that my sisters did not have. You know what I mean? And so it meant I had a little bit more freedom than they had. How I came and went and whatever, you know, sometimes if I decided it's late, I don't feel, I uh, can't make it home today, I get on the phone, I call my mom, say, Mom, I'm at, and usually I was in a good place. Mom, I'm at my, <laughs> mom, I'm at my auntie's house, you know, who lived in the area, and my mom would be okay with that. But if my sisters tried something like that, it would be world of pay. If you don't get yourself home, and I mean right now, because if I have to come get you. So that was a different, that was a standard that was drawn. But as a man, as a young man, I didn't have those standards. But let me tell you something. Young men need standards. Amen. We need to understand. Yes. Go ahead, Bree. Clap your hand, Bree. Clap your hand. <laughs> Young men need a higher standard. We need to be taught more so than we put some, because sometimes our nature just says, okay, this is a young lady. She needs to be covered. No, that young man needs to be covered because why? He becomes a covering. If he doesn't know how to cover, I mean, if he's not taught how to cover, how can he be a covering? Unless he told there's a standard that you got to uphold, son. And I love what my mom used to tell me. She said, let me tell you something. Out of all everything you know, son, you better know God for yourself. That was a standard that she put in me to know the Father and to understand his ways and to understand his purpose. She said, I can't teach you how to be a man. But one thing I will tell you, is that you need to know the Father. Yes. 
And unless you know him, you won't make it. And so, young men, there's a standard in you that needs to come up. You have to honor the person that you are walking with. You know, we got this little boyfriend and girlfriend thing. I ain't do that as a young man. I mean, as a father, when my kids were young. At a certain age, man, I used to tell them. I used to ever say, let me tell you something. They ain't no good for you, and you you ain't no good for them. (laughs) And that's what I believe. They ain't no good for you, and you ain't no good for them. Because ain't now one of y'all got the sense you need to be in a relationship. And that was just the truth. And I held that standard. So when they got to a certain age, okay, here's how you could do that. They need to come here. You need to be at a certain time. You don't go to their house and their parents ain't home. Matter of fact, my, my wife was a bulldog, boy. She said, when you get there, you had that mama to call me. Because if you get there and that mama and daddy or whoever ain't there, when you get there, you bring your butt home. You do not be up in them people's house and they're not there. And it was a standard, but that was a standard. And I thank God for that standard now. Sometimes I used to think to myself, man, we so hard on our kids. My kids don't believe that. But I used to think, man, we really hard on them. Boy, you ain't going to play basketball today because you ain't take out the trash. Or you ain't going to do such and such because you ain't did this. Holding up a standard that will sometimes hurt. The standard will hurt you. The standard will cause you to go, oh, man, that was tough. You know, even sometimes we would be in the room, laying in the bed talking. What you think, babe? Think I was a little hard on them? No, you did just what you needed to do. And I was so glad because at any time, one of us would have been the weak one. You know, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't work. It would have been bad. So there were times I'd do something like, damn, I think I was a little hard on them. No, you wasn't. No, you wasn't. They better be glad it was you. Uh, okay. Well, all right then. And so I know from a, a kid's point of view, you don't recognize that parents hurt. And, uh, and something that was said in the room earlier before we came out is that raising the next generation costs you something. If you're not hurting, if you're not making the difficult decision, if you're not investing in the next generation, don't expect the reward. Don't expect anything good to come from that generation. Not according to what you've done. Now there's always grace. There's always mercy. But your job as this generation It's to give of yourself to the next generation until it hurts. Sometimes you come in contact with a seed or a generation that's not even yours. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to till that ground? Because sometimes there was some fallow ground that came my way. But I had to invest. I had to break a ground up. 
Sometimes I had to water ground and encourage that ground. Sometimes I had to pull weeds. There was things that I had to do that I know at times my own kids would look at me and think, they ain't that. What are you doing? You know, you don't do, you don't do that with us. It hurts. It costs you something. Pop, you ain't that understanding with me. If I'd have done that, I know what would have happened. Yeah, that's because you might see. That's exactly right. But being wise and being understanding, being caring, it costs you something. And I thank God for that time and that patience and that caring because I see the fruit of that seed. Why Canaan? Had the children of Israel gone in and established every generation as the Father had declared for them to establish, to be obedient, to love me with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy might, with everything that you are. Teach your sons and your daughters and the sons and daughters that are grafted into you. Just like we were grafted into the Father. The same way that it's grafted into you. Teach them to love me with all their heart, with all their might, with all their strength. And with everything. That they may know that I am their God. That they may obey me that I might be their God. And everything that's not like me. Tear it down. Destroy it. Because it gets ugly, man. Every generation ain't always the next generation taking over the next generation ain't going to be pretty. You ain't going to like what your kids decide to do. You ain't going to like the way they might uh, serve God. You might not like the path that they choose to take. And let me tell you something. Sometimes those paths that your children choose to take will cause you some sleepless nights will leave you up in a mess, will wake you up in a mess, will cause you to begin to wonder, Lord, did I teach him anything? But I I, I shared this um, in my closing, that I used to say that youth was wasted on the young. And the father corrected me for saying that because I thought, because I thought if you could take the wisdom of God, of, of the old, and you could put it with the youth of the young, the strength of the young, how much better could they be? And that sounds good in theory. But to, but to bring that theory together in my mind means I'm wiser than God. He said, I gave the youth, I gave, I called the youth because they're strong. And he said, I called the wise because they know the way. And so, and many times, if as a young man, if I understood the things that my father understood, the way he understands them, that just means I would have walked the path that he walked. No new paths. No new trails would have ever been blazed. No new things would have ever been discovered. I wouldn't, he wouldn't even got to know the father the way he knows the father. When I think about my sons and my daughters and the way they serve God, 
I'm often amazed because there was a time I was concerned. I was like, okay, I wonder what's going to happen here. But now when I see them blazing their own trails, now when I see them raising their own sons and daughters, wow, that's all I can say. It's wow. My wisdom probably wouldn't have put them on the same path. My wisdom would have just been my way. It's the way I would have done it. And God knows I wasn't perfect. But because of their youth and their strength and their willingness to plow through a, a path that dad ain't do it like this, but this is how the father is speaking to me. You teach them how to hear the father's voice. You teach them how to be sensitive to the things that God is speaking to them. Don't cause them to become callous in your way of thinking. Don't cause them to do it your way because you think you know the way. Oh, yeah, boy, y'all, young people, y'all don't know nothing. I've been there, done that. Grew up in churches where there were no generations. I was there. Why? Because the, the younger generation didn't know nothing. We were so busy, they just looked at us and called us. Y'all so busy rocking around here, beat bopping and hip hopping and wearing your clothes all tight and too short and all this stuff. You, you, there's no way you can hear God. Because they wrote us off, they decided, I'm going to keep this gospel for myself. So we have, a, we have a responsibility to teach a generation, regardless to how they look, regardless to what we think about. We have a responsibility to put the truth in them. So when they become the trailblazer, it does not matter what's next. It does not matter what I think about it. But what matters is the truth. If they know the truth and they hear the truth and they learn the truth, they'll recognize a lie any day. Amen? It's about generations, y'all. I don't care what's going on. I do care. Don't, I don't mean to sound like that. But I do care about what's happening because I know it's about generations. And I know it's about the Father setting things right. Oh, it's going to get ugly. It's already ugly. But when you have to turn wrong to right, you can't do that pretty like. There's no pretty in that. There's no tenderness in that. Fallow ground has to be broken up. And so we have to become okay with that. And so what's our purpose as a generation? As this place being blessed to be in America right now. And I know some of y'all may think, uh, oh no, America is this and that and that or whatever. But let me tell you something. If you don't start praying, and if you don't start establishing every generation after your seed, if you don't start looking to the heavens from where your help comes from, if your heart does not become concerned with the unrighteousness of this earth, your earth is going to begin to reveal itself. And if you don't start to speak out, begin to speak out against the unrighteousness that's in your earth right now, some of you so busy praying for Israel, but you ain't even praying for the heathen next door. 
or even the heathen that lives in the same house with you. They okay, God. Oh, I love them so God, God knows. No, he does not. Until you address unrighteousness, unrighteousness is going to remain unrighteous. You are the seed of righteousness. And it's up to you to begin to speak to the seed of unrighteousness. And to begin to cause those things that are not of God to begin to understand who God is. And unless you know God, you can't serve God. And how would they know God unless somebody present God to them? Woo. Come on, somebody. Why Canaan? He could have easily spoke to any land and said, this is the land I want you to dwell in. He did that in the beginning when he created the heaven and earth and he created Adam and Eve and he created the garden. He did it. It was there. It was done. All we had to do was be obedient. But we found that too hard to do. So now it's for us. It's still here because it's still our earth. But we're going to do it through obedience and righteousness. Amen? Amen. Come on, somebody. Give a little prayer. I want you to understand that I don't want you to feel like this is it. I don't want to feel like, I don't want to put you in a panic because you think, oh, it's too late for me because my father and my parents before me didn't teach me this way. You are the establisher of the generation where you are right now. First of all, repentance changes everything. If I repent and I allow myself to become or to be placed in right standing in the right relationship with the Father, guess what? I've changed generations. I am a changer of generations at that point. Not only do I change the generation that I am, I'm in, I'm going to change the generation that is before me. And guess what? I'm going to redeem the generations before, that was before me. Why? Because I am of the Olam. When I become in right standing with the Father, I become the Olam. So I become timeless, Scott. There's no end. There's no beginning to me. So I repent it today. Whoop we do. Good job. But guess what? When I do that, I become eternal. Why? Because the gift of God is everlasting life. If I'm everlasting, it don't start from this point that I repent it, but it opens up a uh, I can't even begin to, under, to express, but what it opens up, it opens up way over there and way down there with no end. That's the difference. And when I understand that importance, whew, something rises up in me that causes me to love the gen next generation more than I love myself, more than I love the trend of, trends of this earth, that righteousness become more and more important to me than anything else. So if you were that person, you're saying that, you know, my mom, my dad didn't necessarily teach me to go to church or make me go to church, but I'm here today. Or maybe you may be watching online and you're thinking, I want that generation. I want that responsibility. I'm not afraid of it. Give me that responsibility. Father, you found mine. 
You found one. You don't have to look anymore. You found one. If you feel that in your heart and you, and you believe that you are that person, that you have found one, I want you just to, everybody stand with me. Everybody stand with me. But I need you, if you're that one, if the next generation is important to you, maybe you are in right standing with the Father, but you haven't really considered the next generations as much as you should. You haven't considered that that neighbor's kid as far as your seed. Or maybe you haven't really reached out to that coworker or, or, or spoke to them or been an example, the kind of example that you should not have been. Squash it. Today, as it is called today, Father, we accept the responsibility of the generations. I, I accept the responsibility of the generations that have come before me. I accept the responsibility of the generation that I stand in right now. And I accept the generation, the responsibility of the generations that are to come. Rooting out all unrighteousness. Rooting out everything that is not like you, Father. But today I say yes to your will. I say yes to your way. And I say yes to you. I accept the heartaches. I accept the good times as well. I accept everything that comes with being a keeper of the generations. And so, Father, we thank you right now. Everyone that has to, that feels they need to repent, we repent. We ask that you forgive us. That you cause us to be renewed and you be restored. And in every way. Because you've already equipped us. Because we was made in your image. We was created in your likeness. And we're so connected to this earth. I'm an earth changer. Through generations. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Come on, give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, I really hope what was said made sense to you and why Canaan makes sense to you. Because it was a place that it wasn't easy. It was a place where it was full of giants. That was the purpose. It was full of giants. It was full of people who were ungodly. It was full of idols and unrighteous things. So I could have set you up in Egypt. What? Who would have known me as God? You know what I mean? And really what it boils down to, I'm God. <laughs> I can do what I want to do for one. But I need this world to know that I'm God. So if I take a little bitty grass off of you and put you in the land of giants and, you, and watch you destroy them and, and push them out, then they'll know I'm God. Because if you kept reading, we would learn about there was a reputation that was going to precede them. So whenever they went to one land to the next, they already knew you was a bad boy. Amen. Amen.